Kipu. Big one. Big two. Sakaipi Kipu. It is a try to the Wallabies. Today, everyone, to another episode of the Green and Gold Rugby Show, and we're coming to you from Eon Sports Radio, or as a podcast, through your usual feed. My name's Reg, and I'll be your host again tonight as we officially enter Bledisloe Cup Week. And aren't we excited about it? Joining me tonight to uh, share that excitement, we have the regulars. How are you going, Matt? Welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. I am pumped. And I, I'm actually slowly getting more excited about this Bledisloe. I'm, I'm convincing myself that uh, we got a chance. Oh, nice. Well, let's hear a bit more about that soon. And Hugh, how are you, mate? Feeling the Anzac love? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's going to be weird watching 15s rugby. I've been so used to sevens the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure what, um, how I'm going to deal with eight more players on the field. I think it's going to be a bit crowded for me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, somehow I think I'll cope. All right. So before we get to the Bledisloe, it is still the last week of the Olympics. So it's scenario time, guys. The Aussie women's sevens team won gold, as we know, and we've gone on about it, that a fair bit, but they did this because of some of their astute recruiting. They they picked up a few athletes from other sports, hockey, basketball, um, athletics, touch footy, obviously. So the Aussies haven't gone too well as a whole in this Olympics. So the question now is to you and Matt and Hugh, is if you were to be recruited by an Olympic sport to better our chances, what sport do you think it would be? Matt? Mate, it, it um, would have to be, and there's not a lot of um, ability informing this decision it's probably more just wishful thinking on my side of things um is track cycling and uh, especially the uh, you love love your lycra i do like my lycra tight and bright and um (laughs) so yeah i think i'd slip into one of those lycra onesies uh, pretty well there but um yeah no especially the uh, sprint you know because you've got the they've got little mind games at the beginning there um and actually we could do with bringing a bit of mind games you know giving check a bit of uh, yeah. you know, a, a bit of um, coaching and the old mind games there. But, um, you know, I love the bit of the mind games at the beginning when, you know, you've got the guy going up the track, down the track, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Who goes um, first, who leads. Yeah, all that sort of thing. And, you know, I'd like to work together some sort of mind Jedi mind trick. You could actually get the guy to fall over um, and then just coast it in. So that would be – I'd work on that for about 10 years trying to perfect that. Um, but, yeah, that, that would be mine. I'd love to do the cycling. Very good. What about you, Hugh? Any ideas? Yeah, well, look, I'm equally ill-equipped at all of the sports, really. So, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm suited to, to nothing at all. The one I'm volunteering for, and I think it's the one that we need to get some Aussie pride back into, um, and I think it's one of the best of the Olympic sports, is weightlifting. Uh, you know, we just, since Dean Luke and all those years ago, we just haven't had anyone to get behind. And it's one of the most beautiful, pure sports. We just, who can lift the heaviest weight? It's the best to watch. And I'm crying out to have an Aussie to cheer on. So, look, it'll take me approximately 70 to 80 years of training to be able to, to, to get in the sort of top 50. Um, but I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it. And, I was going to say. Uh, to bring that pride like- back to Australia. You look more like Dean Lucan now than Dean Lucan in 1984, though. You've got, you've got a few things going against you. What, has Dean Lucan got a horrible wasting disease? <laughs> so I, didn't know they had a bean, I didn't know they had a bean pole division. Like, is that the weight? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, but as I said, though, I'm horrible at all. So really, I mean, let's, we might as well go for broke here. And go. For, and look, I'll probably hurt myself badly, but at least, you know, entertaining the nation. That's what, what's what it's all about. That, that is what it's all about. Did anyone see our Greco Roman wrestling guy tonight? Um, no. Come up against, oh, he was he was like he, the guy he wrestled was thirty kg heavier. 
It was ridiculous. <laughs> and the guy just kept – it was a Swedish guy just kept getting hold of our fella and just basically throwing him into the ground anyway. So <laughs> I'm not saying that would happen to you, Hugh. But. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, well, trampoline's fine, I, but only – I only realised it was – I remembered it was an Olympic sport. I saw it late at night. But only if it's one of those round ones with the nets on the side. I've, I've got four young <laughs> kids, so plenty of years of practice. We throw as many tennis balls in the middle as we can put the hose on it and then, you know, the, the goal is to just to make everyone wobble off their feet. And that gold medal for Australia. No. <laughs> you, know, you can't just lie on it, mate. You do need to do some balance. <laughs> Let the other ones, the kids try and bounce you off. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. The Olympics wrapping up this week. And, and as we say, Bledisloe Cup is full, uh, full steam ahead. But, Matt, I wanted to throw to you quickly because I remember many years ago when I was playing that coaches used to tell me that before a game, try and get my hands in the ball and try and get a positive involvement as early as possible. So I thought we should probably do the same on this show tonight um, and try and get some positive, positive involvement from the start. So any positive iTunes reviews out there for us? There are, mate, and they come flooding in. This one has come um, from England, um, actually. So um, this is this one's from Rugby Tragic seventy five, and he's saying great appreciation and roundup of the game they play in heaven. Like the format, like the knowledge, even enjoyed the humble discussion with the egg chasers. Will I see the Tars win another title ever? Question mark. So um, yeah, keep them coming in. We love to get our reviews. Good stuff. All right, we're going to get into it. Five burning questions this week. Those five burning questions are in order. Number one, put simply, how do we beat the All Blacks this weekend? Number two, uh, as a follow-up, which Wallaby is most under pressure to deliver versus the All Blacks? Number three, what's your favourite Bledisloe memory? There'll be some great ones there, but what's your standout Bledisloe moment? Number four, back to the sevens. So the Aussie men went down, Fiji went up, but we were fairly dismal. So should heads roll after this Aussie sevens team performance? And finally, true or false, in 2028, sevens rugby will be bigger globally than 15. So lots to get to, so let's get straight through it. And we're going to ask the simple question, Hugh. I'm going to throw it to you. How do we beat the All Blacks this weekend? It's, yeah, no easy answers on this one, Reg, as they really are in us, but I'm going to give a simple uh, as simple as possible, I'm going to say we're going to beat him with defence. Yeah. They've come through a really soft um, mid-year series against the Welsh. It was pretty fast and loose. And getting up in their face with physical rush rush defence, it's how we throw them off their game. Um, and it's something that we didn't do particularly well against England. If we can, I, I, I'm confident that our attack's going to work well enough to get points on the board. It's just whether we can stop the All Blacks from getting more than us. And that physicality in defence is something that I think we've been lacking for a little while. And if we can rediscover it like we did in Sydney last year in the corresponding game, then I think we're, we're well on our way. If we can get uh, Aaron Cruden and, and, and Malachi Fekatoa, who looks like he's coming in, um, if we can get Crotty, if we can get the, them behind the game line early, really pin them back and get, you know, I'm not quite sure who's going to be lining up in the centres for us, to be honest, but whoever it is, if they can get out, get off the line and make a few big hits early and really start to rattle these guys at the breakdown and give David Pocock, Michael Hooper and Scott Fardy something to work with, then, then I think we're well on our way to a, to a good win. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Hugh, isn't it? Because that, that defence 
so much of it is attitude at this at this level, and it's the one thing you know you can really get them working on. And that's you know I think we've been together at two or three weeks. We obviously had a poor series versus England, but if they can get that defence right, it can make such an impact on this series, and particularly uh, against a team like the All Blacks. You shut them down, um, which is no easy street, but you know you shut them down, you take away a massive uh, string to their bow. Matt, what are your thoughts on this? Is it is it as simple as defence? Any other layers to this? No, I think it is. I mean, I'm going to double down on that. I think I don't. Re- I don't remember a super season when it's been quite so clear and obvious across the New Zealand teams that there's a master plan. And yep. I just felt as you watch those New Zealand teams, you could just see how the All Blacks are going to play in attack. So much of it defend- depends on offloading. Um, they're running straight. They're running hard. And they're depending on the offload to get their men through the um, through the line. And look, there have been certain New Zealand teams have always been good offloaders. So you know the Chiefs um, and you know uh, the Blues when when they've played well. Uh, but this year you saw everybody. You saw the Crusaders. I mean, every all, all the all the different um, teams were really using the offload. And you know that that's a directive. And the only real way to stop the offload is to you know is to push them backwards. A, hit them behind the gain line, and then B, when you hit them, um, you've got to hit them hard so they're travelling backwards at a rate of knots and they're not getting the ball you know, through the ad line. So, look, it really does come down to that, and I think especially around those edges on the ruck, because that's where it opens up, um, and their forwards are really, really skillful at it now as well. So, I mean, I think that's why we're looking at Lepetti Tamani in the squad. Um, because, you know, someone else who can make those big, big hits. And um, so, yeah, so look, I, I think that's really, really important. And then once we're doing that and, and starting to cut off that sort of, you know, primary source of yards, I think the pressure could really start to come on what is actually a relatively inexperienced all-black backline. So, look, I was just doing some numbers and looking at it today, and, you know, the all-blacks are going to be missing, you know, McCaw, Carter, Nonu and Smith – um, between those guys, you've got 457 caps that are walking out the door. Um, the people who are probably going to replace those guys, Sam Kane, Bowden Barrett, Ryan Crotty, um, Fekatoa, their total caps are 95. So you've got a delta or, or a difference there of 360 caps. Um, and like I say, I think putting those guys under a bit of pressure that they haven't, the likes of they haven't seen, I think as Hugh was saying, they didn't see it in the, in the Welsh, and they haven't really seen it at super level. I think if we can get some of that pressure on them, I think it can look like a really, really different world. And obviously, if we've got a lot of those European guys coming back, I mean, between Gitto and Adam Ashley Cooper, you've got more 216 caps. So if we can get some of that experience back into our back line, I think, and have a little bit more composure, maybe play a little bit more territory, play a little bit smarter, I think we can really start to get some pressure on them. And so, I, But that all starts with defence, as Hugh said. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about Guido and you talk about the territory. Do you get a feeling then that we might play that game where, you know, we actually prefer to play without the ball? You know, if we're going to play this defensive game, which I think is what we're going to do. And I'll, I'll throw back to the one highlight from the Queensland Reds season. And, you know, there's no one from this Reds organisation involved with this Wallaby team. But if you watch that win we had over the Chiefs who are on top of the table at that stage, we played a really interesting game. And we, and we were well above them in, in the first half. I think it might have been, you know, 18 nil, 20 nil, or 20 to 5 or something with a late try. And, and what we did is we played really quite clear exit strategies. So if we're in the 22, we put it out. You know, we knew they were going to run it, we put it out. But if we're anywhere from the 40-metre line to the 22, every time Frisbee box kicked, and we knew 
and we chased and we disrupted their ball and it really worked. So, you know, I wonder if we're going to see from that, you know, Giddo should come in for his kicking game, that left boot of his. I wonder mm-hmm. if it means Genio gets a gig over Phipps because of his kicking game, um, that dreaded box kick. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how this team evolves, which will be named probably in the next, I guess, 48 hours anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be fascinating to see. I mean, that would be quite a departure, wouldn't it, though? I mean, we haven't yeah. seen... We haven't seen Checker really do anything like that. It's in Plan A and Plan A only. Um, I mean, I, I think, though, what Gitto definitely brought up, I, I mean, you know, I wouldn't think we'd be bringing him back from the other side of the world for him to, to hang around on the bench. Um, I suspect we'll be seeing Gitto at 12, and I think at well, least the thing that he would well, firm we, up. I think Reg is going to say, he said <laughs> that about James Hall. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, though the word was that was always going to be the case with Horwell. He was very unlikely to play. He was always there for IP. But um, you know, I think the thing you get with Gitz is you've got somebody who's um, you know we've got you got an exit all of a sudden, which mm. we didn't have against the Poms. And you know, hopefully we're we're close to the halfway line. Um, you know, rather than in, you know having an opposition line out on the twenty-two. So anyway, I I, I would think our territory should should improve. Can we play a different game? Can we play a game, a plan B like that? That would be a big change. Yeah, and it might come down to some of those individuals. I mean, some of my standout memories from last year are those Michael Hooper... Uh, attacking defense, uh, attacking tackles. You know, where he'd shoot out of the line and and just smash one of the opponents and, and drive them back a few meters. And we haven't seen, we didn't see that versus the bombs. You know, there's a different strategy of him hanging wide. And and the other key defender, particularly from a Chica team, is uh, Kane Douglas, who who didn't play versus England, wasn't available through injury, and played a couple of games for the Reds and and has been with this Wallaby squad. So it'll be interesting to see if he. Uh, plays a role in this series. Hugh, you're a, you're a lock forward. Uh, Douglas could be a key man for this Wallaby team. Oh, he's the key man. I think we looked at, you know, thinking back to that World Cup, you know, those those big moments, those big defensive plays, I mean, were led by Kane Douglas and probably Scott Fardy too. Um, so that's something that was missing in that in that England series. And Rory Arnold was probably the closest mm. um, someone came to replicating that level of sort of physicality and commitment. So um, he's out injured, unfortunately, but I think Big Kane, I will slot in with Rob Simmons in that second row. And yeah, look... Look, be be really key. And David Pocock shaved his head and looks like a complete psychopath. Oh, so that can only be a good it. sign too. <laughs> can only be a good sign. Um, hey, yeah, Matt, you talked about your, you know, you, you love the cycling and the strategy involved. And strategy will play a big part on Saturday night. But how much of a strategy does it play early on? These mind games that are going on between Hanson and Chica and the the tater tates in the you know battling press conferences it's almost like dueling banjos dueling microphones at the moment what's going on there they're just deflecting from their players well yeah although i i've got to say i think it's a bit like a kicking game with the wallabies checker doesn't seem to have a mind game um (laughs) you know skill set either um it seems to be very reactive to me i mean you know Hanson got on the front foot really early on. I mean, he piled it on while the, the England series was still on, didn't he? So yeah, when he got yeah. in talking about the the uh, had Czech been bullied by Eddie. And I think that's a skill set that both Eddie and Hanson see themselves as having, right? You get out there, you, you make the news rather than the news being made about the players, and you get on the front foot. And, I mean, they both do it masterfully, although I, I tend to think where Eddie does it playfully, Hanson's just kind of inner bitterness kind of comes out. Um, it seems to be um, in, in a lot of the, the sort of the stuff that he says. So, look, I, I do feel for Czech, though, which is that, you know, until the guys deliver on the ground, it doesn't give him much to back up about, does it? Um, it's, you know, 
that's you know that's a bit of a problem. But look, one thing I would say is within these latest comments from Czech, he was talking about selection decisions, and there's there was a guy who I'm um, called Owen McCaffrey put a comment on uh, the Tuesday's news, which was um, one of our posts on the Green and Gold Rugby website this morning, um, which was talking about this story, and I'm just going to read a little bit of of what he wrote because um, he he. He actually chimed in. He said here, I think Checker hit a nerve that runs deeper than he may know, in brackets, or probably does, but isn't saying. The selections he mentioned are not half the selection problems the All Blacks have to deal with. A couple of quick observations. The champion Hurricanes, who topped the table and were finalists last season, also have the least numbers of players in the All Blacks out, um, out of any New Zealand franchise. The second worst team, the Crusaders, has the highest. The Hurricanes won the competition, competition with a final three-game shutout through a massive forwards effort and were rewarded with two out of the 17 of the All Blacks forwards. This hardly reflects their dominance. Have a look at replays of their matches against the Highlanders, Chiefs, Crusaders and Blues. Only two? It doesn't end there. Julian Surveyor, World Cup darling and unstoppable form all last season, has barely fired a shot all season and would barely rate amongst the top six New Zealand wingers in Super Rugby. His teammate in the back three, Israel Dagg, has played well but outplayed all season by snub chief superstar Damien McKenzie. Why? Because Dagg signed a three-year New Zealand rugby contract at the beginning of the year and McKenzie is yet to. Is yet to. Fair? No. Cheaper? Yes. Risky for the All Blacks? Yes. One more. With SBW out of the All Blacks, midfield will rely on Malachi Fekatoa, who has signed a three-year deal. However, he is another player who has been outplayed all season by Vincent Halaholo of the champion Hurricanes. I'm getting the feeling maybe Owen's a uh, Hurricanes fan. Um, Halaholo didn't come from nowhere. He has the three-year ITM apprenticeship and sat on the bench all um, the beginning of this season until his form proved irresistible. Anyway, and he goes on. There's another um, few paragraphs. He finishes off, does Hansen have selection problems? Yes, he does. And he didn't even need Checker to remind him. Um, there's not enough all-black money to keep four top halfbacks and three top five-eights in New Zealand long, um, for long, let alone keep playing past last year's team when clearly this year's Super Rugby has shown that some of those players are struggling for their pace. The Wallabies might uh, might never have a better shot. So, an interesting viewpoint. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty staggering, isn't it? I love the, the, the tinfoil hat territory there, but uh, says some fairly sound uh, backing there, particularly those number of those Hurricane players in the squad. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. So, I, I I um, urge everyone to go there and have a good read and make yourself feel better. Made me feel better today. Well, okay. Well, let's leap from that because <laughs> we'll wrap up this burning question and, and um, get a tip, Hugh. Um, oh, look, geez, it's so hard. We, uh, it does feel like we haven't had international rugby for years. It, it, it's, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm honestly not sure at all what to expect out of this game. Um Look, I think for you know Matt, that comment there had a lot of valid points, and New Zealand are probably at their most vulnerable. You would think that they've been for a couple of years, um, and we certainly beat a team that's better than this one um, last year. Um, that said, geez, it's it's hard it, it, it's hard to tip against the All Blacks. Uh, you know, we don't have a bad record in this Sydney game. Jamie Pandaram of the tele posted that this is the only ground for the past 15 years in the world outside of New Zealand that the All Blacks don't have a winning record. Yeah, um, so it's seven, hasn't seven, been, one from 15, yeah. Yeah, it, it hasn't been all their way. That said, they have had some success. Um, look, I'll, I'll be the voice of reason here and say the All Blacks by four. 
just because I'm not sure the Wallabies will have that confidence that they had um, that time this time last year, where they'd come off a couple of good wins against um, against South Africa and Argentina coming into the New Zealand game. Whereas coming off that England series, I just think their confidence might be a bit dented. But um, yeah, looking forward to a close game. Yeah, mate, and, and all recognition, we've got no idea what the teams are at this stage. Either team, there's injuries in the All Blacks, the the Wallabies. Chica probably doesn't even know what his team at the moment, so it's hard to make a tip. But, Matt, do you think we can do it? Look, I, I've turned around, I would say, in just the last couple of days. The more I've delved into this, the more I think there's a bit of a swing in our direction. Um, I think it's at least 50-50, which the kind of the stats that, the ANZ sort of say it is. Um, and so, look, yeah, I'm going to put us ahead. I think we're going to want this one maybe a little bit more. Um, and, yeah, and tip us to win by not much either. So, I'm going to, yeah, maybe a victory by two. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, you can't base anything on that England series. I mean, you can, but you can't base a win on that England series. We were pretty terrible. But a fair bit's changed since then. While the Super Rugby form wasn't great, the the impact of these new players, you've got no doubt that Chica and the crew were are targeting this rugby championship and they won't be taken by surprise now. And that's the thing. And we, we don't get out-coached versus the All Blacks. We get out-played not out coach like we were versus England so that'll be a factor here and I reckon uh, I reckon they're a good chance of being up for it this isn't Wales we're talking about a touring Wales team New Zealand are playing this is the Wallabies Bledisloe at home so yeah you're right we've got every chance here so let's say the, the Wallabies in a close one so that's 2-1 we've done it easy too easy for them guys it's uh, Wallabies uh, favourites on the Green and Gold Rugby podcast nice easy bank it Burning question number two. All right, let's delve into this a little bit more deeper. Which Wallaby is under the most pressure to deliver in this game? Matt, I'm going to go to straight to you. Well, look, uh, look there's a few, actually, I think. Um, but I think there's a bit of a logjam forming in the back row. There are so many now really good players in there. Um, you know, we, we already had the, the pooper sort of dilemma. Um, and that's a combo that it's really hard to go past, um, especially... Um, with Pocock's new haircut, I don't know how you can how we can leave him out too much. Um, you've got Sean McMahon; uh, he's been playing really, really well, and we know Czech really loves the uh, physicality that he brings to the game. You've got Lepetti Tamani; um, he's a big boy, he hits hard, and I think that's exactly what Czech's going to want around those fringes when the All Black forwards try and get a rumble on. Uh, and that the one guy that then leaves is Scott Fardy. Um, and look, I I don't think Fard's had his best. Um, series. I mean, we love him. You know, Green and Gold Rugby's own Scott Fardy, um, and love the rugby he plays. But I just really think, you know, for the probably for the first time, I think he's under real pressure. I think everyone's thought it's the whole seven battle, but actually, if you lock in the pooper, it kind of leaves the third Ben out there um, under pressure from McMahon and Tamani. So yeah, I think Fard's um, yeah, he's going to be under a bit of pressure there. Can he bring the physicality that um, the, the two guys breathing down his neck can? Yeah, it's a really good call. He was he was uh, behind his best late last year too, and we haven't seen it much this year. And again, that changed game plan for the Wallabies versus England. But you're right, we need Fardy at his best. So I think that's a pretty good call. Interesting to note, Pocock's haircut. You put him with Fardy, um, and that makes a pretty good combination for our uh, skin. Uh, what do we call him? The Bullet Fifteen. That might be our back row, all done and dusted with those two, and we'll chuck in Michael Gunn from the Reds, who's shaved his head as well. So, um, Hugh. What about you? There's uh, there's a lot of players under pressure, but you've got one pretty interesting considering the sta- status in the in the Wallaby team. Yeah, well, look, mine. Yeah, you're right, Reg. Mine's Stephen Moore, the skipper. Um, I think he's probably the bloke with the most to prove coming into this series on on a couple of levels. I mean, I've been critical of of 
of his form through the England series and through Super Rugby, which which was pretty patchy. And I honestly thought at, at, at by the end of that England series, Tatafu was playing, um, you know, very, very good rugby. And blokes like Andrew Reddy and Shiver Hansen knocking on the door as well. Um, is, I think Steve's got to, got to step up around the field first. Um, and that's before we even get on to, to, to the issue of leadership, which, which I think we can agree was lacking pretty sorely in that England series as well with, you know, decisions to kick for the corner when we should have taken the points, um, in that Melbourne game especially, and just a general sense that we were, we were not treating referees, um, in, in a manner that was getting us any sort of dividends in the, in the back end of matches. So, Look, you know, there's there's some big questions over over Moore, and he's an all-time legend of of our of our code, and I love him, um, and and will always be a, an all-time great Wallaby. But I feel like he's he's really got to step up and stamp his authority on this side because you know a bit like a you know Steve Waugh when he needed a hundred, you know that mm. you know you couldn't. Um, you know, you need your form to lead the way before, you know, the leadership stuff follows and, and, and makes everything else a lot easier. So if he can come out and have a barnstormer against the All Blacks, I think I think that'll that'll do a lot to ease ease the nerves in the side and ease the nerves of those around him because he's such a key player to us and Hook is such a key role. Interesting to see that leadership issue brought up during the week in the news as well. It was acknowledged by the Wallabies that they have a leadership issue, particularly how they uh, deal with the, uh, the match officials there. Uh, Hooper quoted during the week that it's something they've been working on so really important but it's something been very obvious for the for probably for the last 12 months from a wallaby perspective so um bang on really good observation there with maury from my perspective i've got a 10 jersey in bernard foley uh, assuming that bernard will start again and then i'll lay it on the line i think he should start at 10 quade cooper's back and he's training and he's fit and about to announce his sign with the reds by all reports but um foley uh has earned his 10 he got copped a lot of criticism during that English series, I thought rather unfairly. He, he did make some mistakes, but he wasn't Robinson Crusoe. I thought he looked sensational that first 25 minutes or so versus the Poms in the first test. Um, his big challenge is this kicking game, and that's where the Giddo outside him uh, will assist him. But you just got to go back to that English test uh, in the World Cup last year where he his kicking game was superb on his own right. But Foley is under pressure and he, he can't be the type of fly half that has to rely on the person outside him. He needs to be his own man here. And, and how we play this game um, will largely come, come down to his execution. Um, and when you've got Quaid sitting on the bench for all the skills, and we know Cheek is a fan of him and has worked hard to get him back into the game in Australia, um, many people calling, mostly north of the border, obviously, calling for Quaid's inclusion. Um Perhaps Quaid will have an influence like he did supposedly on that sevens team and, and lift uh, Foley's performance a couple of cogs because uh, it's critical that that 10 roll does control the game. But uh, you just get a sense that Foley will be a little bit more wary about who's, uh, who's behind him at Wallaby training now. So can I just ask, Reg, just to, I don't mean to burst the Queensland bubble here too much, but between um, Quaid's performance at Eden Park when we lost by, what was it, 20-odd points? which I think might have been the last time he played for the Wallabies in now, what makes you think that, you know, that he's pressuring Foley at 10? Well, I think Quaid isn't Quaid's the only fly half that has been in the All Blacks in the last, probably since Larkham's retired, <laughs> you know, twice. Um, uh, you know, Larkham... Uh, didn't Bernard Foley, Foley be... Didn't Bernard yeah, Foley maybe last year. Last year, <laughs> yeah. he must have, doesn't he? But two times then. Who's been in them the most? Come on, 
Something. Something. <laughs> <laughs> He's beaten, beaten the All Blacks the more than any other Wallaby fly half in the last decade. Right. Uh, little asterisks. These facts may not be accurate. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, look, like I said, I'd still pick Foley, but I still I think Quaid, in form, and we have no idea what his form is like because we haven't seen him, is uh, the superior fly half in terms of his execution, his kicking game, his variation of his kicking game, both his distance and short kicking game, his passing game superior. Uh, in my eyes, it's just his ability to run a team. So um, I still maintain Foley does go hiding sometimes, and that's why you need that dominant 12 outside him, which is a, the point I mean that he's got to be his own man and control the game. Um, and we actually saw that versus England last year. But um, like I said, Foley's still the man for this test, but uh, he knows he's got someone pretty good behind him. Can I, yeah. can I give a shout before we – oh, sorry, you, you're going to go, Matt. I just wanted to no, say – I get a sense yeah, she's going to support me, so you go first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always going to support you, Reg. I mean, really, you are the heart and soul of this podcast, and <laughs> other people may try and hog the glory, but we really know what the people want to listen to. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you're right. I think having just having his presence in camp has yeah. got to be a rocket yep. up for Bernard Foley. It's a bit like you know, there's a having the having Quaid and, and those guys in the sevens camp. You know, Nick mm. Cummins and those fifteens guys. They may not actually have got on the field, but what they do to to sort of you know just just throw the established players off kilter a bit and make them work that little bit harder. Um, I, I fully expect it to have it have an effect whether whether Quaid gets on the field or not. It can only be a positive for us. Look, I really. Agree agree with you there. I think having Croyd in there really, really helps with the depth. It was something that I really worried about during the England series, which who was going to step in, let's say, if something had happened to Bernard. Uh, but it would be a really, really big ballsy call um, to throw, you know, Quaid in now, um, you know, without, like I said earlier, without having seen him really do anything at, you know, fly half for a long, long time, especially not at international level. Yep, fair call, Matt. Uh, well, let's wait and see when the team is announced and uh, hopefully Saturday night uh, is a memorable one for the Australians, which brings us nicely to uh, question number three here. And we're talking about fav- favourite Bledisloe moments. Uh, you know, there's been so many of them, but uh, let's let's recap a few of our favourites. So we'll go straight to uh, you, Hugh, first. What's your favourite Bledisloe moment? Oh, look, it's a bit of an obvious one, Reg. And, and you know, the time around... The early 2000s, late 90s is obviously the, a, a pretty rich picking ground, a rich hunting ground um, for, for these moments. Um, uh, the one I'm going to go for, and I think it is the best, it's the one that's often cited, is, is the Totai Kefu try um, in 2001. 2001? Yeah, yeah um, uh, it was. A, yeah. And, it was it, and that was John Eels' last test after the British Lions victory. Um and it was just a perfect moment, and and you see, you know, you, you see him beat the first tackle and drag two or three, and even then you think he's probably not going to score it, and then you just see that, you know, and to credit to Channel they're covering it at the time, and they cut to the the uh, different camera angle at the perfect time to see Totai Kefu's arm stretch out somehow around three or four defenders and get the ball next to the post. And, and um, it's, it's a pretty priceless moment. And Reg, we were saying we looked at a replay of this, um, yeah, uh, this afternoon, and and actually, there's there's quite well, what seems to me to be quite an obvious knock on at our at our mall before the before the try scored, which I think has been glossed over in the in uh, in in the way history's looked at this one, because um, I think if that had happened again, we might have been pulled back for it. But uh, luckily, that was overlooked, and 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 we had a famous moment there. So yeah, I think yeah, that's my. Did. favorite. 
love it. There's a cracker for so many reasons. Uh, also, uh, a fantastic, perfect throw from Michael Foley to Matt Cobain in that one as well. The but, one-handed uh, throw, too. It's a yeah. lost art, isn't it? I think we should get these videos up on the um, on our post so everyone can have a look and relive it as, as I did this afternoon because it was yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's a brilliant one. What about you, Matt? What's yours? Well, look, I mean, a close second, like an honourable mention, was just last year. Um, yep. You know, going into was it twenty nine seventeen the final score? So you know, going to the, that last five minutes of a Bledisloe test and looking at the scoreboard, and I was there and thinking we can't lose this, and I can't remember a test against the All Blacks where that's been the case for a long, long time. And it wasn't just that, but it wasn't just a scoreline. It's like we had them physically beat as well. So that was a big, big one for me. But the one that just again, it's back to those early two thousands. Um, you'll, you'll give me the exact date, I'm sure, Reg, but is um, George Gregan's uh, tackle on um, – oh, what's his name? Uh, Jeff Wilson. Yeah, Jeff Wilson. Uh, Can the I blonde, tell you how far you're off? 1994. Get out of here. No, 1994. The game wasn't even professional at that time. Oh, my God. Okay, so that's how far uh, – that says more about my age and, <laughs> and, 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 and <laughs> what I, how I compressed those years. Um, yeah, look, and for me, it was a special thing is I, I hadn't seen any Aussie rugby for a few years because I'd, I'd been overseas at university and there wasn't any, you didn't get any TV um, coverage of, of those Bledisloe games. And I finally managed to see one and I managed to see sort of um, George Gregan play for, I think, probably one of the first times. And so to see him mm. pull that off, he, he just basically made himself, I think, with that tackle. Um, and, and the, and the, and the, the look on Wilson's face was just priceless. That was, yeah, that was a MasterCard moment. Wasn't it brilliant? But Gregan, if you remember that game too, also pulled off a couple of massive hits. I think one on Richard Lowe and one on Ian Jones, just front on, one-on-one, a huge tackle. So that was massive. So, yeah, that was 94. And the other thing about that game, you remember how it started, Matt? No. A try from the kickoff. So... David Knox kicks off. It's a perfect take by, geez, I think Eels chasing the kick. We recycle straight out to David Knox at fly half. He puts up the bomb. Jason Little from outside centre charges through. Regathers the bomb over the try line, scores a try. All Black Bledisloe <laughs> Cup try within 30 seconds of the kickoff. Easy. Easy pickings um, back those days, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing performance. That's a cracker. I love that one too. Um, all right, from mine, and I could go back a bit further and say that 1986 Bledisloe Cup series over in New Zealand, when it was, I think it was the first time for, for, for decades that we'd actually won a test series in New Zealand, um, and there's a particular try by, um, by David Campisi, which sealed the series for us. But I'm going to go to the year 2000, and uh, there were two remarkable all-black tests played that year. The one, the the game of the century, which the All Blacks won 39-35 in Sydney. But my moment is uh, a couple of weeks after that in the return bout in Wellington, uh, which Australia won 24-23. And the moment is that John Eels kick. And and what I love about this kick is that, um, you know, we were behind and you know, it was, what, five or six minutes of extra time afterwards. And we kicked for the line and the All Blacks uh, took the line out. But I think Craig Dowd might have given away the penalty. And Eelsy, and I think that at this stage, our regular kicker, who was Mortlock, was off. And Eelsy didn't hesitate. And he stepped up, pointed at the post, and took the kick himself. You know, just that tremendous, calm leadership of Eelsy. Took the kick, raised his arms, and the camera, the angle of the camera 
was such that you know Eelsie's arms, just from a perspective perspective, uh, looked like he was towering over the goalpost. It was just this great image, and and just you know it, it just typified that Wallaby success of, of that era of these last minute gritty wins they against the All Blacks, where they just produced it and they did it, which Todd I did a few years later, as uh, as Hugh mentioned. Yeah, that was a, that was an amazing kick. Just the, the calmness in which he did it, just ridiculous. it seemed. And you forget there were a few others around those times too where we, we, we really pulled it out. I seem to remember a game which Matt Burke kicked a, a very late goal to win us to win us a game um, in well, that I period think, maybe. Yeah, and then there's yeah. a few others too. A little bit later, I remember a late try. It was quite a bit later now. That's Scott Staniforth. To Scott yep. Staniforth under the post in Melbourne, I think, was another another really good sort of last gasp win. Well, the, the week after that Eelsie kick, or two weeks after that Eels kick, uh, Sterling Mortlock did the same with the South Africa, which won us the rugby championship or the Tri-Nations or whatever at that stage. But but you're right, there was a few... Matt and Rogers scored a try, and I think Berkey got the conversion or the penalty late in the game. So some fantastic uh, last-minute plays. So yeah, long... But- let's see it again. But, like, all those wins, though, it just feels the opposite to, like, the Australian Olympic effort... <laughs> Yeah. at the moment, is that, you know, whereas back then we were finding ways to win, we seem to be finding ways to lose um, at the moment. And, I mean, you know, kind of look that way against the Poms um, in this that three-test series. Um, and then, you know, just the Olympics at the moment, there's something not going right up top that used to go right. Well, it's, yeah, Gen, right. it's Gen Y, isn't it? I mean, really, Matt, let's face it, <laughs> yeah. that's what you're getting bloody, at. Bloody you are the poster child, mate. Bloody poster child, <laughs> <laughs> all right, mate. But let's uh, all Bledisloe memories fantastic, and let's hope there's more Saturday night. And one way to keep that those memories and make it a memorable night is perhaps grab a few mates around, Matt, and get a couple of beers uh, in the house. Well, Indeed. can I say before we do that? I know we're going on to this, uh, but um, get get to the game. Um, should be a yes, big crowd okay. looking at looking at potentially more than seventy thousand at at uh, ANZ Stadium out at Homebush. It's going to be packed. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Um, so yeah, look, it, it's um, definitely recommend everyone getting out there because um, I know I'll be out there and hope, hoping to see uh, a repeat of last year, which was one of the, one, as Matt said, one of the best moments. Well, look, what, and like, I don't think anyone was expecting what we saw last time, so you know who knows what we might see this time. Um, but look, there's no reason why you can't combine these two things, Hugh. Um, you can, you know, have a nice barbie and um, sink a case of this beer that I'm going to talk to you about in a minute, and then get out to, you know, get out to ANZ. Um, it's a it's a marriage made in heaven, but um, to get that case of beer, you need to go to thecraftbeermarket.com.au. Uh, go to the mix cases, and what you'll find, you get twenty bucks off um, any of three carefully selected mix cases, um, which is the Ford Pack, the Backline, and the Tight Five. And in each of those cases, there's an um, equal pairing of Kiwi um, craft beers and Aussie craft beers, and you get 20 bucks off, and it's free delivery. So get in there, um, get yourself, and each of those cases is a, is a lobster free to you. Um, if you get in there quick, you never know, you might be able to get there before the weekend. Sink a few of these with your mates, um, either in front of the, the telly, watching a great Aussie victory, as you learnt tonight, is going to happen, um, or um, you know maybe polish a few off before you head out to the game even. Good stuff, and and Hugh, it's it's great that you're encouraging us to get out there. But we don't all live in Sydney, mate. This isn't you know light blue and dark blue rugby. This is green and gold, mate. Oh, I was saying, right. flights available, Reg. Flights available. <laughs> really loved your country. I think you'd be down here, but look, let's not go into that. 
All right. All right, we've got to move on. We're wrapping up towards the end of the show, and we're going to move on for the Bledisloe, and we're going to another, take another glimpse back at the, the Olympics and the sevens. And the Aussie men failed, I would say, suggest dismally. They won two from their six games. I know the ARU set a strategic target of, of them meddling this tournament. We haven't. Should heads roll as a result of this uh, this sevens uh, uh, performance by our men's team, Hugh? Um, no, no. In the spirit of this podcast, we we love heads rolling. I think, and, and <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be a little bit more restrained this time and say I actually don't think heads should roll over this. And and you say a dismal failure, and I think two out of six probably makes it sound worse than it was. It was two out of four, um, and then the other two games really were the playoffs for. <laughs> who, gives a, who gives a shit, really? I mean, once you're out of the tournament, um, you know, it's completely irrelevant. Um, but, you know, it, it was a story of our season, really. We, we we could match it with the big guns on our day, as we did against South Africa at the end of um, – or at the start of the third day of um, competition. But we just couldn't stand up when it counted. And when it came to that quarterfinal, we were pretty well outclassed. And, and um, look – as I wrote in my article over the over the weekend, and everyone can look it up if you haven't read it yet, about where to for the men's sevens team, I actually think it, it's a problem of personnel. I don't think there's too much wrong with the way our, our, our setup is and our structures and the and the and the staff. I think it's just that we don't have enough talented blokes playing the game and the type of blokes that can really compete with South Africa and Fiji and New Zealand, the sort of quick, skillful guys. We've got a lot of workmen. Um, and sort of blokes that that have kind of not quite cut in other other forms of the game, and it's a bit of a ragtag mob, and and they don't play a particularly appealing brand of footy. And I think if you've got a little bit of new blood in there, and so in a sense, heads should probably roll in terms of some of the older players, dare I say, a James Stannard who's been around a long time but might have had his day. Um, but other than that, I think they've they've Andy Friend. I'm still willing to give a little bit more time to. He came in late after Geraint John pulled out of the team with six months before Rio. I'm willing to give him if he's got what it takes. Um, but, um, yeah, look, I, I don't think we need a wholesale, you know, I don't need to, we don't need to start from scratch. I think we need to keep some of the players that we've got now, build around them with some exciting youngsters, you know, guys from different parts of the country, different sports, and, and um, hopefully look, look to um, get our program back on track. Matt, it's an interesting one. There's got to be a turnover anyway. You, you can't imagine Stannard hanging around much longer. Cam Clark signed with the Waratahs, so he'll be moving to Super Rugby, as has Palmer Fowl. Uh, there's rumours of a few others, but those guys will create gaps that new people have to step into it. But I guess it's a, a question about coaching as well. Yeah, well, look, I think heads should roll. So I think John O'Neill, whose idea this seventh thing was from the very beginning, <laughs> um, as we've since found out, should be sacked. Um, oh, turns out, yeah, he went a few while, a little while ago. With a couple of million with him. Um, yeah, how ridiculous was that email, right? That oh, email oh, leak. Just... Um, it was like he dictated it to Roy Masters. That was just that was that was pretty <laughs> pathetic. Um, and and here's the thing, like you know, if you want to take the the glory for the women, what, what are you saying about what you did for the men? Because no, exactly. I think it's, I mean, it's very hard to say that you know eighth position is anyone's idea of glory. Um, especially when we kind of came in around about fourth, I think it was in the in the World Championship states. Um, I, I do, yeah. Give Andy friends got you know six months isn't really enough time to completely turn around a whole system. Um, I get that. Um, then again, did Garrett John? Did he have that? The you know did he start from scratch either? 
the, the, the one thing is, though, that goes against that is that I would say – so I, mean, I think what you were saying there, Hugh, was like, you know, we just don't have the guys. But look, I watched South Africa absolutely turn us over, um, not in the, in the pool stage, but uh, what was it? Was it in the quarters? In the quarter um, final. Yeah. And um, I looked at that South African team. I didn't see anything special, but I saw a bunch really? of guys. No, We've got bu- eight guys all faster than our fastest guys. Oh, guys like speed's Beckham, different. Speed's different. Yeah. Uh, but that's and not how they won it. Smith and... That's not how they won it at all. They absolutely killed us at the breakdown. So they were just completely accurate in their skills in, 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 in what they did. I don't think their out and outright pace wasn't what built what beat us in that game, not by a long way. So I think it's really possible. And I think we've also got some real – I've got think we've got pace around the traps, and I think we've got some really good runners. I mean, you look at the Henry Hutchinsons, um, is it Falavau, um, and, the, and then some, there's a couple of other guys in there as well. My name escaped me right now who – who can do what they need to do, but I just don't think um, we'd been drilled in the same way to really set aside a point of difference. And I think, for example, the Saffir's point of difference was, you know, that it was going to be that um, key skill execution. I don't think there was anything genius about much of what they did, except that they just did what they did really, really well and did it a lot better than us. So, look, I don't know that it's necessarily we don't have the right players. I don't know if we've really approached it the right way in the men's, whereas in the women's um, we have. So, yeah, I think we do need to have a bit of a good hard look at ourselves um, with the men. The, the one other thing I was just going to throw in here is um, the other kerfuffle that happened with the men was them coming in at 9am, I think, after a night on the Terps. Look, I, some people have got a bit excite, excised about that. I, I'm a, To be honest with you, I'm okay with it. I, I think that um, they, the rule that they set out was that you shouldn't be drunk around other athletes, you shouldn't be disturbing them, and as far as we can tell, they weren't. Um, but they were outside of the village. Um, they were coming back at nine in the morning, I suspect, to go straight to bed and then fly out probably the next day. So I didn't have a big problem with that. Yeah, me either. Let them celebrate. I do want to mention the Fijians. What an awesome gold medal. That was one of the most dominant sevens performances uh, I've seen. And uh, in a gold medal game was just one of the moments of the Olympics in my eyes. And you talk about South Africa ruling the breakdown versus us. How do Fiji play this game? They're just big, strong men, massive hands. They don't have breakdowns. They just play continuous rugby for as long as they can. So they'll take a tackle, take a couple of tackles and just offload straight back to the support players and, and just keep them repeating until they get across the Line, but that was a, a remarkable performance. Oh, it was, it was crazy. They, were, they went to a new level, didn't they? They did. Well, let's let's move on to that now. So our last burning question as we, we draw to a close here is this simple as true or false. In 2028, sevens will be bigger globally than 15s. Matt, this was your question, so I'll give you the first, uh, first answer. Well, yeah, look, I'm going to be the negative Jonah on this one. Um, so the, what this, I've been phrase? having this negative Jonah... I don't know. Just made it up. What is it? What should the phrase be? It's negative negative Nancy. Negative Nelly. It's some sort of alliteration. Yeah. I don't know what Jonah Paul Jonah did. Bloody Jonah. Negative bastard. Um, Yeah, look. uh, Yeah, I'm going to – for me – so this is a conversation I've been having with some people. I can understand why everybody is uh, jumping up and down about, you know, what, what the women did. Uh, for sevens because I think, yes, it's going to put especially women's sevens on the map in Australia, no doubt. But then I think we need to calm down a little bit and realise that out, you know, in the rest of the world, we, I mean, we loved it, right? We, we got a gold. It's one of the few goals we've got um, and we think that's fantastic. I think the rest of the world wasn't sitting on the edge of their seats going, oh, this is amazing. Uh, haven't the Australian sevens done well? I don't think it blew everyone else globally like we thought it might have. If, for example, the US had done that, 
um, with their women. Maybe we would be looking at something different, but that didn't happen. Um, so I don't necessarily think that it's the same that, that sort of same infectious thing that we've got going on here. I don't think is necessarily happening around the world. The other bit that I think people are getting a bit carried away is they're thinking, well, look, you know, rugby 15s is on the out. This rugby sevens is going to come through. Rugby 15s is not on the out, especially in Northern Hemisphere. It's going gangbusters in the UK. It's going gangbusters in France, and it's just about to take off um, in the US. Um, and it doesn't actually need the sevens to do that. So, look, will sevens do better than it's doing now? Yes. Um, Will it become, uh, you know, a much stronger thing and, you know, and, and continue to build? I think so, yes, but I don't – even in three Olympics time, I still don't see it overtaking from 15s. And I think it's got some other problems like the fact that you need a sevens tournament. You can't just really have a sevens game on the weekend where you can with a 15s game. I'm talking from a television point of view or from a tournament perspective. So I, I think it's got some struggles. It's actually got the reverse problem, whereas 2020 is an easier thing to watch in a couple of hours. Um, a sevens tournament isn't, um, which is the reverse thing of test uh, uh, test cricket yeah. versus 2020. So, yeah, I think there's um, a few reasons why I don't think it will. But over to you, positive Pams. <laughs> Positive carries. Thank you. Uh, you? Look, I think it will be bigger. Um, not necessarily, you know, in Australia. And I think it's a definitional thing here as to how you define bigger. But the the reason why I think is is we'll see it play, being played in more and more countries um, simply because there's a better chance of winning. Um, USA, Russia, China, all of these um, big countries are going to put money into sevens because the lure of the Olympics is there. And it's obviously, I, I think, mate, I think you do underestimate how big it's been outside of our little bubble. I, I saw a figure that I think um, something like 4 million um, people in Germany watched the, watched the men's final. Uh, Spain's figures were really, really high as well. So these non-traditional markets... Um, which are seeing this game for the first time. I think it's got to have an impression. And 15s just doesn't resonate. So outside of, I think the core 15s nations are going to stay 15s dominated. You know, yeah, England, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Ireland, and that sort of thing. But we'll see sevens take a stranglehold in 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 America, in Argentina, you know, more in Argentina, in in continental Europe, and across Asia. Because I think. Um, the um, it, it's something that they can compete in. It's a bit more of a level playing field, and and especially in the women's game, where where there's um, victory to be had there if if investment and, and promotion is done the right way. So I, I think by 2028 you'll see more countries playing sevens than fifteens, and and a much more diverse level of um, winners coming across. Because as we saw with Japan in the semi-finals of, of, of Rio, it, it, not only can the minnows compete, but they can actually progress through to the late stages of competition if if they are, have a really good week. So. That's that's what I think, and um, yeah, I think we'll see a, a broader range of people around the world playing sevens and fifteens. Yeah, look, I, I tend to your way, Hugh. I think from a women's perspective, perspective particularly, it'll boom. Uh, men's is always strong. The World Cup last year is fantastic, so I can't see that weakening. But the women's, it will go places without doubt. That's going to bring us to a close, guys. I do want to re- recognise a couple of things. Obviously, the uh, Bledisloe Cup matches this weekend, Saturday night in Sydney. So if you're in Sydney, get out to it. Next weekend, the NRC starts. So you'll start seeing a lot of information pumped out on our website at greenandgoldrugby.com. So follow us on social media, at GAGR, at Gaga on Facebook to get all the news there about the NRC. Congrats to uh, Melbourne and the Deal Shield in the Melbourne Rugby Competition and uh, Tuggeranong Vikings in uh, Canberra, who both had grand final success on the weekend. Um, all season's just about to wrap up. 
as the international and the NRC kicks off. So plenty of rugby coming up. Matt, thanks very much for your time. Are you going to the game this weekend? Uh, it's looking that way, mate. I think a ticket has um, fallen into my hands last weekend. So I'm oh, chairman's, for- chairman's Lounge? <laughs> uh, it might be. Um, yeah, yeah. It sits next to a few old shore mates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say a lot of bill for us. And Hugh, yeah. uh, you'll be there, I've got no doubt. Yep, can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. And, and uh, yeah, go the Wallabies. Excellent. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to Bobitz in the booth, and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Well, there's a little bit bunched up at the moment. Curly Beal standing to the right, forward runners to the left, and White!